Hello and welcome to After Office Hours of the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. This is your home for discussion about the Puget Sound region's economy. The economy and what's affecting it continues to be in a high rate. We're recording this on July 27th for those keeping score. Depending on when you're listening, there are going to likely be new developments to keep in mind. We developed this podcast in our social media stream to give you the inside glimpse of what it's like to be sitting in our research center and overhearing of all of our side conversations as we track what's going on in the economy. So please have a seat, get comfortable, and please, no flash photography. We issued a special edition of the Forecaster last week to update the forecast we posted mid-June. Taking this extra step is definitely out of the ordinary, but if there's anything we've learned in the past 18 months, not much is ordinary. Before diving into current economic thoughts, let's see who's here today. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter, along with being cast into the role of host for this podcast. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Bethany King is our research economist and works with the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Bethany writes many of the articles each quarter, as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. Rounding out this panel of super smart people today is Josh Grandbush, who's been with our research center for many years and works closely with our forecasting tools. With all of that, grab your beverage of choice and let's see if we can unpack what is going on in an economy. We should start with COVID itself. The big news here is the United States and the world appear to be deep into the variant zone. This is creating more revisions to reopening and operating plans for businesses and individuals. Hart, I've seen that Apple has pushed back the return to office into October. Amazon has announced changes to their return plans. What do you think? Are we going to see a general slowdown here in our recovery due to this uncertainty of where work is going to be done into the fall and then see another recovery cycle in the winter? I mean, I think people are having to come to terms with the fact that the recovery was going to be rocky and take time. Several months ago, we wanted to imagine that COVID was over for all intent and purposes, and we could talk about a fast recovery or what shape the recovery might look like, but uh, it's never been like that. Uh, so more than a slowdown in the recovery, I think it's just a more accurate assessment of what's actually happening or been happening. I mean, there, the recovery's been very uneven across industry sectors. We've got distortions to work through. Uh, there's a lot of movement in the labor market uh, and that's all very choppy on the, just on a good day. But now we have the emotionally frustrating fact that many activities still involve risk, right? With those variants you mentioned. And we need to wear masks uh, a lot more than uh, we thought we might or anybody wants to. And you mentioned Apple. And part of the reason uh, there's the pushback there or delay in the return to office is the increase in COVID cases or Delta variant or whatever. But I, I think uh, worker sentiment was a bigger reason, right? Because some of those conversations about delays or how well Apple was handling it, were, were hitting the news before we were talking much about resurgence in, in, uh, in, in COVID. Businesses and workers are doing a dance right now, trying to figure out what balance to strike and how to make remote or hybrid work really happen. So. I think part of the reason for, for the delays and bumps in the recovery is simply businesses and workers figuring out next steps. Um, and I, I think that we're going to get into that sort of labor topic a bit more in the podcast. Oh, I think labor is exactly where we should go hard. So 
each week I'm seeing general numbers and trends that seem to be moving in the right direction, but they're worried about a smaller workforce, unfilled jobs and other terminology that make it sound like people simply are just not going back to work. So Bethany, what's the deal here? Are people just hanging out at home or is there some sort of resorting going on in the labor market? Um, I think that's something that we'll have to wait and see. Um, we are seeing an upsurge in um, unemployment insurance claims, which is an upsurge. I should use that term loosely. We're seeing uh, slight increases. And so it will be interesting to see in the coming months whether or not those changes in the labor force are permanent or if we're still having that rocky transition back into the, into the labor force. I think something interesting that I noted when I was looking around about this question was a survey that the website Indeed, the employment search website, recently did on the biggest factor for why people aren't uh, returning to jobs. And they came with five reasons. And unemployment insurance payments were the lowest reason uh, for, for the primary reason why they weren't going back to work. Most people were afraid of COVID. Um, they had an employed spouse or a financial cushion, or they had responsibilities for caring for kids or other people in their family that kept them from working. So I think that's why we're, we haven't seen a big change in the states that have taken away unemployment benefits in terms of uh, jobs coming back. Well, there's, you know, there's this factor called demographics that COVID really hasn't changed a lot. I mean, I, last I checked, I'm still getting older at the same rate um, as pre-COVID. And you, you look at baby boomers retiring and it, there are, I mean, it's not a big factor, um, but I find it curious because you've, you've got a, a number of people, dare I say, my age who are deciding uh, my stock portfolio is up enough. My house is worth enough. I'm stepping away. So there are promotions, adjustments, ripple effects all the way through the labor market. And then you don't have cohorts as large as the baby boom coming in behind. So in addition to everything Josh just mentioned about factors, uh, it's just just demographics and a normal sort of churning that, that uh, was to be expected in, in, the, in the labor force. So there's, a, there's just a lot going on in the labor market right now. You know, Hart, we often mention too that, you know, we look at unemployment rate, but we also really watch the labor force participation rate. And so if that's not something a listener's familiar with, Look up labor force participation and understand what that is measuring because it gives you a different lens into the labor market than we're used to seeing with just an unemployment rate. Or employment to population ratios. Yeah, don't look at just one statistic for sure. All right, so Josh, um, I noticed you, you, you stepped up here quick and, and, and the next question I have is for you because last week we rolled out that special edition update to the forecast and that's a pretty unprecedented for us. I mean, it's only, we've only done this a couple of times where we've come out with a, with a revision. And so it's, it's not a small deal. So for our subscribers, they're getting five quarterly editions this, this year, which is a, a bonus quarter, I guess, um, to do this. So we've talked about COVID here. We've talked about what's going on in the labor market. But let's talk about why we updated the forecast and what that means. Yeah, we had a couple reasons for, for pulling out a special edition in July. Um, one was a slight misprint around personal income in the newsletter. But the other was we got some new data on income that led us to rethink some of our assumptions. So generally, we don't get to see the county level personal income figures until about a year after they occur. So if you're looking for the 2020 personal income figures for King County or Kitsap County, you're gonna to have to wait till November, 2020. So we have to estimate 
to kind of fill in the gaps there. And usually we can just rely on the US personal income growth rate as a, as a bit of a proxy and do some regional adjustments. Um, but you know, 2020 was a bit of a, a strange year and we did get data from Washington State personal income growth. And it turns out that the that our state did a lot better than the US. And you know, the Puget Sound makes up a big part of the economy. So we started rethinking our county level personal income figures and we bumped those up um, across the board. So in doing that process, because it had been a bit over a month since we had run our last model, we had the chance to update some of the other historical data, including a new uh, blue chip forecast and from June. And so this just kind of reshaped our whole forecast and we thought it was worth uh, sending it out. And there's more discussion of the details in the, in the special edition itself. So Josh, uh, okay, so personal income's higher. So does that mean the forecast got even better? Like, are we expecting higher growth? Are we expecting, I, I mean, that sounds like it's good news. Is that good news? It's a, it's a mixed bag. It, it is good news in some senses. Um, the personal income figures for 2020 were higher, but like I said, we got a new blue chip forecast and that had been revised slightly lower on GDP and income. And so, you know, over the length of the forecast, for those of you who can see the 10 year forecast online, you'll see, you know, it's not wildly different from what we had before, but we did, you know, the relationship, for example, between tax retail sales and income has been very fluid. Um, normally income goes up, tax retail sales go up. That hasn't been entirely the case, at least not to the same magnitudes because of the stimulus effect that we've seen, you know, back in March, 2020, uh, January of this year and March of this year. Um, so it's a bit of a mixed bag, but we do dive into the specific changes that occurred in the special edition. All right, so the next thing I, I guess that I'd have to add, ask about is, um, it's been described as sticky, as transitory. Inflation's a really big concern for some folks. I'm seeing lots of articles, I'm seeing lots of consternation around inflation and, and, and fears and, and worries. So Hart, should I be worried about inflation? Can you explain the difference in the types and why inflation might actually be a good thing? I mean, if by worry you mean pay attention to it, then yep, you should worry. Uh, if by worry you mean get all in a tizzy about any and all inflation, nope, don't worry. Uh, I think we should not imagine that any inflation is bad and as a result worry if inflation picks up a bit. A little inflation can be very helpful, especially if it means higher wages at the, at the lower end of the wage scale. Uh, flip, you know, to an extreme, a little inflation is a lot better than a little deflation in terms of uh, what happens in the economy with expectations and, and activity. I think the real question you're asking is whether inflation will be much stronger and more persistent than most policymakers are anticipating. Because if that happens, the Fed has to act quickly and aggressively to slow the economy, those actions are going to present a variety of new challenges, uh, higher interest rates and so on and so forth. The hope, of course, uh, or the expectation really, is that various imbalances in the economy, you can think about cars or lumber for housing, result in one-time increases or just temporary increases in prices for certain goods, right? We've already seen the price of lumber spike up to scary levels, but come back down. Uh, it didn't spike up and stay, it came back down. And that's the sort of transitory 
price change that the Fed is anticipating in, in most parts of the economy. Used car prices are coming back to earth. And I guess so the, so the data supports this one time or in some cases temporary inflation story. And that's not something you really need to worry about. But we do need to watch the labor market because if businesses have to continue to raise wages to attract workers, they'll look to raise prices if they can. Uh, and if you get a sort of a spiral of widely dispersed wage and then price increases, that could mean a, a type of inflation that's more problematic and the Fed would have some tough decisions on their hands. You know, you mentioned about wages, Hart. So I've, I've seen all kinds of interesting incentives out from employers. So today, Walmart has announced that they will pay for college and books for all of their employees that, that want to do that for people that want to come work for Walmart. And I, and I love reading comments online and, and hopefully our listeners enjoy that too. It's, um, it's interesting watching the, the chaos of, of ordinary people doing their thinking. But is that why we're seeing companies not just raise wages? They're coming up with the signing bonuses and other kinds of programs so that they don't face those kind of higher costs going forward long-term? Sure. You know, I, if I'm the, the employer, I'll try to find a way to attract the best workers I can without committing to long-term cost increases. I mean, wait, labor is an, it's typically a very big portion of your cost structure. A lot of em, uh, employers might want to raise wages. They might be happily, but, but then they have to ask themselves, do I have the pricing power on, on the other end to be able to pay for those higher wages? So I think part of the reason firms are getting creative and they'll pay for a little of this or a little of that is it's what can they afford? We can talk about which firms have the ability to raise prices and which don't. I and mean, if you're selling on Amazon, you, you may not have the ability to say, oh, I think I'll charge a little more because somebody else can just, uh, or Amazon themselves, right? Just set, set a price that's problematic for you. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fun thing to watch. All right. So you mentioned lumber pricing, and that's that's been a fun thing to watch, watching the lumber futures. And I think that's an important thing to call out. I think when we, we, we hear about lumber prices, we think about the two by fours down at Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever your, your favorite lumber yard is. Um, we think about those kinds of prices. And if you've been there lately, you've noticed that those prices have not dropped significantly yet. Um, when we talk about lumber prices, we're talking about lumber futures. Um, so the, the prices you will be paying in the months ahead, um, those prices seem to be returning back to normal on the wholesale side. Now, whether or not we see that on the retail side, that's, that's a different, different story altogether. I think a lot of companies look for opportunities to build in price increases where they can, um, especially in those markets where they don't have a lot of pricing power. So prices will drop, but they'll, again, we get back into that sticky and transitory kind of, on the of way discussion. Down. So let's let's talk a little bit more about housing and construction. So Bethany, do you think there's still not a housing bubble? I mean, what should I be thinking about in terms of the housing market? I see an article today that the Seattle metro area is the third third fastest price increases for homes. I'll get this out sooner or later here. Um, but we're seeing that that price homes are coming in pretty sharp and fast here in, in our region behind um, uh, city in California and a city in Arizona. So it's it's we're, we're in a pretty small little little pocket of folks there. Talk to me. Should I, what should I be thinking about? So, first of all, we still don't think there's a bubble. That's important. Um, 
a lot of us are very focused on this, you know, 2008 terrifying housing market bubble. And that's just not what's happening right now. Um, so we definitely did see a 33% increase in the price of homes in the Puget Sound this year. Um, now, part of that is because of the particular homes that are going on the market. And these are the more expensive ones. That's part of it. But um, housing prices in general are going up. Um, and Part of the reason for that was we had such a short supply at the beginning of the pandemic and a high demand. Um, and so what that does is it pushes prices up. Um, now, as a result of that, more people are starting to put their homes on the market to try to capitalize on that higher price. Um, so inventories are coming back up gradually, um, but not at the pace that we would expect given those high prices. Um, and along with that, we're also not really seeing permits increase um, the, to the extent that we would expect. Um, so per, housing permits are coming back up compared to the beginning of the pandemic, but they're not up uh, compared to pre-pandemic levels. I also saw this morning that uh, Seattle's rethinking their urban villages concept that's been in place for a long time. Um, I wanna say it's been probably 20 years since the urban village concept kind of took off in Seattle. And that, that will help a little bit uh, ease some of the pressure on housing prices probably in the region as well as, as more multifamily uh, housing options become available around the city. And of course that comes with con some consternation, right? As people that live in neighborhoods that were single family uh, housing until now, those may transition. And of course that always causes some angst, which again then repeats the cycle of pushing people out into far flung places like Linwood and, Woodenville and Bothell and Renton and et cetera. So it'll be fun to watch. Housing's, housing's always kind of fun to watch and it's it slowly evolves. It's not like it's a fast, fast, sudden thing, which, which is the next piece I want to talk about, which is fast moving, which is retail. Uh, retail tends to move very, very quickly. Josh, supply chains are still a huge issue. And uh, I saw several articles this week about back to school supplies are becoming the, the hot commodity now. So they're evidently your pencils, your erasers, your pencil boxes, your, your college ruled paper, that is your new toilet paper for the month, I guess. Um, are we seeing a hit to retail on all of this or are people still shopping like early COVID? Yeah, well, talking about this right after construction makes a lot of sense because I think a big part of why building permits haven't taken off is the, is the lumber market being so restricted and so expensive recently. Um, and, you know, that's basically what we're seeing in retail. And, and there's kind of two sides to the story. We do expect retail spending to fall a bit, actually, um, from what we saw in Q1 and, and the beginning of Q2. Um, but it's not because con consumer demand is structurally weaker. This is that stimulus effect we were talking about earlier. People had some extra money in their pockets, they had a financial cushion, and they couldn't spend it anywhere else besides retail sales because of the economic lockdowns that we've had. Um, you know, they can't be traveling. Um, that's really a thing that we're gonna see in the second half of the year. So that's gonna be another effect on top of no more stimulus, people are gonna start putting their money in other parts of the economy. Um, during the reset or during the lockdowns, you know, people were spending money around the house on building projects. They were buying new furniture. They were buying consumer electronics. Uh, look how hard it is to get anything with a semiconductor in it. That's partially COVID restrictions on the supply side. You know, the manufacturers can't pump out enough semiconductors. Um, but it's also on the demand side. Everyone wants a new car. Everyone wants a, a PlayStation 5, you know, um, whatever floats your boat. So 
we do expect retail sales to falter a bit, uh, but that's not a bad sign. That's kind of a return to normal. James, you asked about inflation earlier. That return to normal Josh is mentioning has some inflation wrinkles or hiccups or slow recovery. There's a great big, yet another great big container ship sitting in Bellingham Bay, uh, which means they're either lost um, or the port of Seattle is all clogged up. Uh, I'm going with the latter. And it, it, one of the issues there is um, too few truck, not enough truck drivers. Uh, they can't empty the port of Seattle fast enough. So these ships are finding places to, to sit and wait. Uh, so, I mean, I agree with everything Josh says, but they're, it, it, getting there has some bumps. I, I saw this week too that uh, the railroads have the same problem, right? So we're talking about, you know, our, our entire shipping system is has labor problems all the way through it. Um, and yet we're still trying to move this huge amount of goods. I've seen some great satellite photos of the Port of Los Angeles. Um, and it's amazing the number of cargo ships just sitting out and thinking about the economic costs of that cargo sitting there waiting to be able to be unloaded. It's pretty just, phenomenal. A just-in-time inventory system that isn't, well, the clock stopped for a moment, messes things up. Anecdotally, I've, I've been driving around. I'm in Orange County right now for the listeners, California, and I see so many uh, big trucks with uh, ads on the sides, got CDL, you know, <laughs> they're trying any way they can to hire around here. It's crazy. No, it is. And those are, those are high paying jobs. I mean, for people that, you know, want to say, oh yeah, but you know, the bunny's not great. You can get a truck driving job for 70, 80, $90,000 first year, right out of the gate. Um, if you have a CDL, it's a, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, I think so Josh, I, then the next big shortage I understand is going to be cell phones. Um, uh, they're predicting a, uh, cell phone shortage in about three or four months because of the chips. Um, and so there's a lot of consternation around chips and, and what that means. So expect to see a lot more articles around chips and, and strategies to have more chips made in the United States and whether or not that's a real solution or not, that's outside our, uh, our game. So we're, this is not a political science, uh, show, so we're, we're good. So Bethany, we create monthly updates, which are available to our online subscribers. I always look forward to those. They're, they're kind of fun to read and they're uh, very condensed around the different topics that you cover. Can you share anything you're looking forward to in the next set of updates? Yeah, definitely. So there's a few things that I wanted to highlight here. Um, so first of all, we have stimulus money is going to start running out here. Um, we're not expecting to get another one. Um, so we'll see what the effects are on the economy without that extra boost happening. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, the other thing is we have the child tax credit that just launched. Um, so this won't be for another couple of months that we'll actually see those numbers, but that will be an interesting thing to look out for and see exactly what effect that will have on the economy. Um, another thing we have here is the future of Boeing. Uh, Boeing dropped again. So we'll see what happens there, um, but there's definitely a lot of uncertainty there. Um, and then finally, the biggest thing that we already touched on is the labor market. And it'll be interesting to see what happens there because we, uh, we're, we're seeing so many strange numbers happening. Employment is higher, unemployment rate is low, but the labor force is still low. So things, strange things are happening right now. Um, and so we are going to want to look out and see if we're getting real structural change or if we're having uh, difficulties getting back into the workforce. 
No, and workforce is really where the action is. I mean, there's uh, some interesting uh, stories coming out of Boeing around how they are having a hard time getting the workforce they need in the Puget Sound region because, funny, those people that are highly qualified are taking jobs in the tech sector, right? And so they're not going back to Boeing. And so we're seeing people, again, vote with their feet uh, on where they're going to work. And so it's going to be a lot to unpack in labor, I think, coming forward here around who 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 goes where and and for what kind of money and for what kind of reasons. There's some interesting uh, public opinion work around younger workers and and what kind of work environment they want to are want and are willing to go back to work in, um, coming as we return to the office or not return to the office as as the case may be. All right, anyone got any final thoughts they want to say here? Stranger Things and Groundhog Day all together. Indeed, Hart and I, we, we've done, a, we've done a, a talk series with that title and we, we had no idea how spot on we'd be pre-COVID uh, with, uh, with that title. Well, that brings us to a close with this edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We encourage you to follow us on social media to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis and to learn about other ways to connect with us. You can always reach us via our website, cebr.ww.edu or by email, cebr at www.edu with questions, comments, or if you're interested in having us speak at an event, yes, you can bring the show live to you. After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. Thanks to our producer, Jill Poon with KDMC. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours of the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, have a great day and be sure to do your part to get our region back in the fast lane.